back everyone it's so exciting i know i'm so happy and so ready to be back oh i'm so ready to cream my pants with all of you again (laughs) been missing it been missing you this is honey doobie podcast i'm emma and i'm Cass, and we're a podcast that talks about creaming yourself and creaming yourself (laughs) and creaming yourself i think emma hates it when i say that that's why i say that um we're actually a podcast that talks about sex about feeling good in your body about having sex with yourself other people all the kinky things like everything in between and this is our new season. Welcome, yeah. motherfuckers. <laughs> I should have dressed up more. I feel embarrassed. <laughs> uh, luckily, the majority of our listeners uh, listen just audibly, which is how uh, the good Lord intended when he made Emma and I. But yeah. <laughs> that makes us sound ugly. And I didn't mean it that way. I meant we're lazy. I know we're so lazy, but if you haven't caught our drift, we are also on YouTube so yeah. you can watch our episodes I mean, Cass basically gave you a warning to not, um, but I do hope to try harder this season. I really do. I'm not starting out trying very hard, but I will try hard um, later. Part of the way through. Yeah. Well, it's because it's early, but I will say that I do have a newfound motivation for dressing for the life I want. I tried to do it this week. I lasted till Thursday, um, which is good Yeah, for me. Because I really don't have to try hard at work, but I tried this week. So I would like to do that more this season um, to emulate whom I want to become. Whom you are. (laughs) Whom you are. I love that for you. I don't know that I'll be doing the same, Um, but I'm excited to watch you do it. Thank you. Um, For those of you who are returning and do see us, in person or in person. I hope you're not in person because you would be in my apartment. Um, I moved. So this is fun. You can see my new kitchen and my new green couch. So was that what you meant? Yeah. I wanted people who have looked at our YouTubes before in past oh. seasons to see that I'm now in a new space. Look at Emma's glow up. You can see Look. your knives. <laughs> can you? I don't know if you'll be able to when I actually like paste this into our yeah. template. You can, you can see the top of my new green couch and my, ooh, you can see my new coffee maker. That's cool. Ah, there you go. Which mm-hmm. Emma's drinking, but she's also on probiotics. She was telling me. So somebody's uh, regular. <laughs> I won't so, say who. <laughs> so regular. Also, apparently our bowel movements come up every single fucking episode of this show. We are who we are. We do Sorry. be who we do be. And <laughs> and my BMs are great. <laughs> so um, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Uh, probiotics for gut health. Fucking my new MO. <laughs> yeah. Your new Emma. <laughs> my new Emma. <laughs> Honestly. Honestly. Um, speaking of probiotics and not speaking sure. of probiotics at all. Right. Welcome to fucking non-monogamy month, bitches. Yes. Um, if you didn't listen to any of our summer rewind episodes, if you didn't listen to our catch ups, 
get the fuck out. Um, (laughs) There's an undertone of hatred here. (laughs) There's anger, but you know what? Mm -hmm. Stick around because we need you and we love you anyways. Um, We are doing something a little different, a little new, a little fresh. We're doing Mm -hmm. themes, monthly themes, so that you can just become an expert um, in whatever the fuck it is we're talking about. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Well, I feel like we've done... Got 240 episodes on, right? Something like that? I think we're at like 140, but go ahead. That's not true. Anyway, (laughs) um, for three years, there's no way. There's only 52 weeks in a year. One, two. You know, I didn't study math. (laughs) I'm not a doctor I don't have a PhD. You can just get on fucked. Anyway, we've done a lot of weeks of all these topics and there's just, there's just no stopping. There's so much more to uncover in every episode within one topic that it's just, we're so excited to do it this way. And we have, we have fucking the most amazing months next year set up for this season. You're so welcome in advance. Like you're so fucking welcome. Um, Some months we're going to be doing some really fun solos as well. Uh, some little experientials. Um, this month we are doing one and we're so excited. Uh, Mm -hmm. that'll be, uh, the last week of this month. Uh, but holy shit. Um, once again, you will cream yourself with excitement, not pleasure, but excitement. But excitement. (laughs) I am still recovering from our experiential, (laughs) uh, debauchery. So if that tells you anything, it happened a month ago, by the way, what mm-hmm. we experimented in. So that doesn't get you excited. I don't know what will. And she doesn't I'm... mean emotionally. Emma is <laughs> still physically recovering from what we did. Yeah. Emotionally, I'm used to things taking a long time. <laughs> physically, this is like, this is still a toll on me. It brought Emma to her knees and made yeah. us both question if sex is a sin. Um <laughs> So it's just been, I feel like we're going, I was on, uh, we recorded the, our solo already mm-hmm. for this month and we're it's so excited, but I feel like we're going to have to add an extra little tidbit at the end I know. for reflection because we recorded it so soon that I wasn't able to fully understand the, the gravity recovery, yeah. um, that you would be enduring. Yeah. Uh, so if that hasn't convinced you to like. Get ready for this month. Do we want to give them a little taste of the other episodes we're doing this month? Yeah. Just so they know what to look forward yeah. to. That sounds um, good. So we have Susan coming back mm-hmm. uh, to talk about threesomes and sex parties. Um, we have a new person coming on to talk about cuckolding. Yes. Like, what the fuck is cuckolding? Besides being fun to say, mm-hmm. what is it? <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Um, uh-huh. And then today... We have such a fun episode with one of our absolute besties, uh, Dr. Liz. And Mm -hmm. they are just doing a deep dive with us on what the fuck polyamory is. Because Mm -hmm. it's non-monogamy month, bitches. And we are, we're we're hitting every hole. We're hitting every (laughs) hole there is. Yeah. Like we have multiple. Nope. What? I don't know how to make that polyamory related, but I was trying. Uh, (laughs) We have multiple. (laughs) Consistent I am with a terrible comparisons (laughs) two years later. Um, Yeah, I am so excited to have Dr. Liz back on. One, because they just know how to explain things that are above my head. And 
too, because their life... If you recall the fisting episode, they were a fisting demo as a human being. That wasn't in the fisting episode. They told us that in private, <gasps> not like so we couldn't share. But yeah, I think we talked about that in our summer rewind, actually. Oh, also they bring it up in this episode at some point. Yeah. So I definitely know yeah. I'm not spelling secrets. No, no, no. But yes, they were a fisting demo at an expo at the Sheridan. At the fucking Sheridan. <laughs> the fucking Sheridan. It's oh. just it's just beyond. And so I think you'll really enjoy this episode on what polyamory is and how mm-hmm. it can benefit you as someone who might be monogamous, who might be exploring polyamory, mm-hmm. or just curious on what the fuck. And if you're like totally not interested in polyamory this episode is still so fucking beneficial for just being a human being who is in relationship with other people um i don't know every time we have dr liz on they blow my puss wide open (laughs) in terms of what i'm open to you know what i mean like (laughs) i will admit i have not been fisted since having them on since doing last week um i've actually i've never been fisted um but I like him so much more curious about fisting now. And we talked about humiliation with them like right before the end of last season. And like, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. They got away with, with sex, man. Yeah, with sex, man. But, um, yeah, that is just the first of the next few episodes in this non-monogamy month that we are super excited about. Mm. And um, I don't know. We hope you enjoy yeah, uh, we know you'll enjoy. So yeah. no hope needed, motherfucker. Motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, so for the first time this season, we can say we'll see you on the other side. Yeah, bye. Bye. And today we're talking about polyamory. So let's start with some definitions. What the heck is it? Yeah, so polyamory is the practice or the intention to have multiple loving relationships with the full knowledge and consent of everybody involved. Uh Loving relationships can mean a multitude of different things. For some people, uh, they have a lot of relationships that are romantic partnerships. Some people have more casual connections. Some people have a lot of sexuality focus in their relationship. Some don't. There's a lot of variation. It all just kind of depends on the person. Got it. Are there, so I can already see some benefits from my own Um, opinions, but are there benefits that stand out to you of why polyamory works maybe versus monogamy? I mean, I don't, I personally think that monogamy is a great fit for some people and polyamory is a great fit for some people. I am not someone who believes that like everybody should be polyamorous. What I believe is that it's important for all of us to be able to have relationships that are conscious relationships where we are making choices about what happens, where people are empowered and able to access their agency. And that can look like monogamy. That can look like polyamory. It can look a million, a million different ways. The key is, is everybody fully consenting? Is everybody fully knowledgeable? Are people able to change their mind if they need to? How are we making sure that we move away from our larger cultural relationship script that is so based in control and coercion that it's hard for people to have any kind of healthy connection within it. I think for me, some of the big benefits of polyamory are that like, 
I just have a slutty heart. And so I keep like falling for new people before I fall out of being into old people. And like, that's not a thing that monogamy makes a lot of space for. I also have a very slutty body. And so like, I want to fuck a lot of people. And that's definitely something monogamy doesn't tend to support. Uh, I think too, that, you know, the same way that being queer or trans can often force you to examine those larger societal structures and scripts. I think that for a lot of people, the transition from monogamy to polyamory offers an opportunity that encourages them to examine like all of the things we're taught about relationships. If you look at the model we are taught for relationships in our culture, and I'm speaking largely about like U.S. culture, uh, Great Britain culture to some extent, like global North kind of cultures in general, Mm -hmm. there's this thing that we call the relationship escalator, which is that like you meet someone, you start dating casually, then you date seriously. Then you decide if you want to live together, then you get engaged, then you get married, then you have kids. And then you buy a house, you live in the suburbs forever. And the thing about (laughs) an escalator is it only goes one direction. You can't go backwards on the escalator. You also can't just stop on the escalator, like if you get to a point with someone and you decide you don't want to go any further in the relationship escalator model, that means that that relationship is a failure because with the relationship escalator, unless you ride with someone all the way up to the top and that relationship ends in death, that relationship is viewed as a failure. It is viewed as something that did not work, that did not succeed. And you need to start over at the bottom, completely discarding that former person from your life till you find someone who will ride the escalator with you till you both die. It's a very challenging model for a lot of us for a lot of reasons. And I think what I like about polyamory, particularly in the communities that I'm a part of, is that we put a lot of time and energy into really picking apart all of the aspects of that model, not just how many people do I get to get engaged with and buy a house with, but like, do I ever really want to be married? Do I really want to live with a partner? Do I want any of my relationships to look this way. And I think that that moment of questioning, that moment of self-examination is so beautiful for folks because like the person that I am now and what I want from a relationship now is worlds away from where I was a decade ago, where I was like on my deployment in Afghanistan and planning on like having a kid on my own if I couldn't find a husband when I got home. And like now I don't want kids. I don't want to get married. Maybe never cohabitate with a partner. Who knows? Like, it's just a very different world that has opened up to me because I started questioning all of those assumptions about what relationships are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. It's like when you start being intentional about one aspect of your relationship life, it kind of snowballs into every aspect of relationships in your life. It can. I think that, again, it's an opportunity, an encouragement Mm -hmm. to examine these things. That doesn't mean that everybody does it. I think there is this way that some people talk about polyamory is like this enlightened way of being and everybody who does it is amazing. And like, that would be great if it was true, but it's not true. As with every community, there are some people who are great. There are some people who are shitty. You know, you have fuck boys everywhere and fuck women and fuck non-binary people. Like they are everywhere. So like being polyamorous is not a guarantee that people have done their work and examined their shit. But I think that it does, again, provide more encouragement and more of a clear opportunity to evaluate those scripts and determine what really does work for you. Mm -hmm. Quick, No, go ahead. Quick definition check. Is polyamory the same as ethical non-monogamy? Like, are those interchangeable? 
So some people will use them interchangeably. Um, Ethical non-monogamy is kind of the larger umbrella term for all of the various ways that people may practice not monogamous connections. So that could include swinging. It could include people who are monogamish, which is a term coined by Dan Savage for folks who either like recognize that if you're with someone for 50 years, eventually someone's probably going to cheat or they're like open to the possibility of a sexual dalliance outside of their main connection at some point. Uh, It could include people who are more looking for like closed relationships, like a closed triad is a very common way that people think about non-monogamy or they call it a thruple now. I hate that word. We already had a word. It's a good word. Let's just stick with it. Um, But there are a lot of ways to be ethically non-monogamous in a variety of different structures in terms of how structured or like freeform it is, how much um, kind of autonomy one accesses versus doesn't and ethical non-monogamy covers all of those various forms where polyamory is just like a specific version of having multiple loving relationships generally romantic connections though people who are aromantic can be polyamorous generally sexual connections though people who are asexual can also be polyamorous Mm -hmm. okay so like swinging doesn't necessarily mean you're polyamorous like those are not necessarily okay those are different, so they're different subsets, right? And they're often practiced in different ways for people who have different kind of like aspects of that larger relationship model that they are willing to question or unwilling to question. And so swinging tends to be done by folks who want a very couple-centric experience of non-monogamy. So they go to things as a couple. They often play with other partners as a couple, or they do a swap where like they pick another couple and then they exchange partners with that couple. So there's often more of this like centering of the the central relationship uh, in a way that polyamory is largely working at moving away from. Uh, in polyamory communities these days, we're starting to move towards thinking about polyamory as a thing people do rather than a thing couples do, where swinging tends to be more a thing couples do. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Also, slutty heart is like my new favorite term. Um, I think that's a beautiful way to describe being having the capacity to love and or just like multiple people at one time. Um, and I also like how earlier we were talking or you were mentioning how it doesn't have to be sexually focused if you're in like polyamorous um, dynamic. So and I see that as a big benefit, maybe not more so over monogamy, but definitely something that I don't think monogamy offers if you're just looking like, oh, right now we're just friends and that's a beautiful relationship for us right now. But I don't think there's a lot of grace for that if you're just with one partner. That's usually like a pain point. And I've been there. I've been in that situation where it's like, fuck, I feel like we're just friends right now. That must mean we have issues. So I like how you can have multiple relationships that focus on different things within polyamory. Yeah. And I think, you know, within the poly community, there was a moment, especially as I first started, you know, educating about polyamory and being more involved in polyamory communities, where there was a lot of focus on like, it's not about sex. Polyamory isn't about sex. And like, it's not about sex, but it is also about sex. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's important, especially in such a sex negative culture to like, remember that, Sex is not necessary, but for a lot of us, it is a really important feature. And like mm-hmm. understanding that part, you know, that pain point in, in monogamy where pe- one person is having sexual desire for the other and the other is not. The pain is 
about that discordance, not about sex itself, right? Like, I think that there is this way that people are like, oh, polyamorous people, they're just all these horny people who are going to try to steal your partner away from you and rope them out from monogamy land. When like, really what we see in monogamy is a lot of people who are cheating, who are lying, who are, you know, deeply angry at their spouses and coercing them into sex or punishing them by withholding sex, that there are a lot of these very negative ways that people use sexuality as a tool to enact relational aggression that I think is is hard to get past in any relationship. Because even in polyamory, you know, I think that when we're our most enlightened best selves, we're able to say like, yes, in this relationship right now, we're not having sex and we will find a way to like make this relationship work. And some of us are sex people a lot. And, you know, if I have a significant romantic relationship and we stop having sex, no matter how much I love that person, no matter how poly I am, that's still probably going to be a problem for me because it's not just about like how many times a week am I getting laid? It's about sex as a way that I connect with and play with and interact with the people who are important to me, whether those are friends, lovers, partners, anything. It's not that I just want to be having general sex. It's that like, I want sex with each of these people because the sex that we have is about us. And so I think that like, it does help you question that idea of like, if we have a friend phase, there must be something wrong. And I think it can suffer the same pain point as monogamous relationships do. I think it's, it's, you know, I say this a lot. It's messy. It's complicated. It's so much more nuanced <laughs> than we wish it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because humans are messy and complicated <laughs> and nuanced. <laughs> Not me. Oh, yeah. Except for you. Sure. Except You're the for me. Easiest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Least complicated. Just like easy cutout of a human. Yeah, that's what I'm told like, often. That's it. <laughs> Shallow, easy peasy. Um, (laughs) How do you know if polyamory is for you? I mean, I think that's a really complicated question. And I think for me, at least part of what makes it complicated is that I think we are all always growing and changing. And I think when we're talking like polyamory versus monogamy, I think that there are some folks who are just in who they are, they are monogamous. They just like, when they're in love with one person, they don't actually like feel that kind of romantic desire for anybody else. That's just who they are. And then there are some people like me who just have very slutty hearts and bodies and like trying to do monogamy is terrible for us and we're bad at it. And then I think that there are a lot of folks in the middle who could kind of go either way, depending upon the context that they're in, the friendships they have, the community around them, the people that they're dating. I think that when you're trying to see if polyamory is for you, I think there are a few different ways of approaching it. The way a lot of people tend to approach it, particularly if they're thinking about opening up an established relationship, is from the perspective of like, what could I lose? What are the things that could go wrong? How do I prevent myself from experiencing pain? How do I keep myself safe? How do I protect my relationship? And I think that coming from that perspective is necessarily going to lead you to a path that is more limiting for you and your partner and your life. Because when what we're focused on is protecting ourselves from experiencing any pain, we're necessarily going to have to limit ourselves a lot. I think it can be more helpful to think about like, if you could wave a magic paintbrush and make the world any way you wanted, what would your life look like? Would you have like one romantic and sexual partner? 
Or would you like have one romantic partner, but some people you fuck on the side too? Like, what would you want it to look like? If there was no one who was going to judge you, if you were going to be totally accepted, no matter what you did, how would you want that to look? And I think that can be a good place to start from in evaluating like what might be a good choice moving forward. That isn't to say that like, if what you think you want is to definitely have multiple relationships that you have to be polyamorous. It's to say that I think a lot of us have desires that we have trouble acknowledging in ourselves because we jump forward to the point where people are judging and shaming us for them, where we're like losing friends and family over them, where we're in trouble, where like nobody understands us. And that's, an important thing to think about and consider that there are very real ways that, you know, mononormative culture punishes people who are not monogamous. But I think when we focus on all of those potentially negative consequences, we lose sight of all of the potential joy. It's the same thing with like a lot of trans folks, right? We talk a lot about like gender dysphoria, but we also talk a lot about gender euphoria. What is it that makes you feel amazing in your gender? Because if all you're focusing on is what feels bad, it's going to be really easy to fall down that spiral of like negative feelings about your body and your expression and who you are. If instead you look at like what could bring you joy, what would be fun, what would be exciting, what might be something to explore that can give you space to find more excitement and joy that you might not otherwise be able to access. Mother's Day is around the corner, and whether you're celebrating your mama, grandma, guardian, or yourself, celebrate with the mother of all self-care routines by trying out Osea's Mega Moisture Duo. This duo delivers a one-two punch in luxurious body care moisturizers with their Anduria Algae Body Oil and Anduria Collagen Body Lotion, both featuring Osea's signature all-natural citrusy scent. I use both the body lotion and the Anduria Algae Body Oil once I get out of the shower, and I use it literally everywhere. This duo is my go-to for feeling glowy and hydrated for literal days, and the Osea Signature Scent is one of my faves because it's not overwhelming, um, but it's like a delicious and fresh smell that just lasts. Since 1996, Osea has been making seaweed-infused skincare that is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat mom to the everyday spa experience she deserves with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code DOOMY at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to O-S-E-A malibu.com and use code d-e-w-m-e for 10 percent off i that love makes that practice that's so yeah. cool absolutely i was thinking about polyamory and like asking yourself if that is something that is within you and for me that question would come from like an emotional hole that i feel like i don't get filled <laughs> in relationships. I, I feel like every relationship I've been in, like Cass has been my emotional fluffer. <laughs> and, um, that's worked, you know, enough for those relationships. But I, I worry that like I put too much pressure on partners to fulfill the emotional needs that I have. And like, does that mean that I would need someone else to like, fill that spot for me. But 
when you're saying the questions you're asking yourself, like if I could paint a magic brush, what would it look like? For me, it would be one partner. So would seeking an additional partner out of a lack lead to what you're saying as in like, mm, that probably won't fill your needs in the long run? Yeah. And I think there are a lot of people who try out non-monogamy from that place of like, this is a lack that I have. I will find a person to fill it. And I think that that isn't necessarily always a problem, but I think we have to be cautious of building a box we want somebody else to fit themselves into. I think that when we are noticing a lack in ourselves, it can be helpful to think about what are all of the different ways that I might be able to fill that lack. You know, if the lack I'm having is about emotional needs being too centered on a single person, can I build up a bigger friendship network? Is there space for that in my romantic relationships? Unfortunately, part of mononormative culture is often this story that like our partner is supposed to be our best friend and our confidant and the person we have sex with and the person we share finances with and the person we co-parent with and the person we do hobbies with and the person that does everything with us and understands us completely. And that is a lot of pressure to put on any one person. And so how can we diversify the connections that we have even if we're not having sex with more people or falling in love with more people, how can we build greater community? How can we build greater support for ourselves and for each other that isn't just relying on this nuclear family model that keeps us all stressed and isolated and struggling? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. What do you think are some myths about polyamory or like what are we as a society getting wrong when we think about polyamory for people who aren't a part of the community? Uh, my favorite thing is that every article about polyamory tends to use the same stock photo, which is three sets of feet sticking out from under a bed sheet. <laughs> oh my God, it's yes. it's always white people feet. It's always one man and two women. Mm -hmm. Always. Yes. Uh, and so like this idea that the closed MMF triad is the way that you do polyamory is very fucking wrong. Um, a lot of people come into polyamory thinking that finding their unicorn is like the way you do entry-level polyamory when really a closed triad is like Olympic-level polyamory. That is really fucking hard because you have to find three people who are all attracted to each other, communicate well, get along well, want the same things, and want to build that with each other and are willing to do all the work involved in it. That is really fucking hard because it's actually a great website that that breaks it down statistically in terms of like how many women are bisexual how many women are you likely to be attracted to how many are likely to be attracted to you how many are likely to be open to polyamory and like even just statistically speaking it's never going to happen <laughs> um <laughs> and so i think that there's this idea that like what you're looking for is like a third to complete you when like other people don't complete us. We have to complete ourselves. And also trying to form that closed triad with three people who all want each other equally is going to set everybody up for disaster. It's going to make it really hard for the people who started as a couple to unpack all of the mononormativity and couple privilege that they came in with. It's going to make it really hard for the third to ever have full agency and be an equal par partner in the relationship. It's going to be hard for everybody to negotiate what happens because so many things will have to change. 
that most likely that initiating couple did not do the work of changing before they found that third. And so what I tell people who are like in an established partnership who want to start doing non-monogamy is that you should think of this not as you're going to just plus more people onto what you have. You are ending the relationship you have had and building an entirely new one. The relationship that you had, almost all of it will need to be examined and changed. So if what you're hoping is that your relationship will largely stay the same, I'm sorry to inform you that doesn't work that way. Like you need to figure out as though this were a breakup, where you are starting from now. Um, I think another big misperception is this idea that like, again, the poly people are like these horny monsters trying to steal your spouse from you. We don't want your shitty boyfriend. We don't. Like, I promise. (laughs) We don't want your shitty boyfriend. There are enough shitty men in polyamory communities already. We don't need to steal them from monogamy world. Uh, (laughs) And like, when I talk about this dynamic of like, trying to rope someone out of the established lifestyle or relationship structures that they're in, we often tend to see this the opposite direction. We call it like cowboying or cowgirling, uh, that someone who is monogamous will come start dating someone in the community with the hopes that they'll like love them for real and then become monogamous for them. It happens all the time. Uh, All the time. (laughs) And so like, we're not trying to steal your partner. Uh, If you look at the statistics in terms of cheating, in terms of STI transmission, people who are non-monogamous are actually way better about not breaking relationship agreements and about communicating openly than people who are in cishet monogamous relationships. So like the likelihood that one of us poly sluts is going to steal your partner and make them leave you is way lower than the fact that, or than the likelihood that they are just out banging someone they met at a bar. Uh, usually not with condoms because apparently cishets don't use condoms. I don't know. It's very strange to me. Um, (laughs) I I think that's another big misperception is that like, we're all just like ridden with disease all the time. Uh, We actually have lower transmission rates, statistically speaking, than any monogamous communities tend to in part because we all test very regularly, communicate about it and are much better about barrier use. Um, So there doesn't tend to be a ton of STI transmission in the community. And in fact, whenever someone tests positive, everybody hears about it very quickly and anyone who could even possibly have been exposed just goes and gets tested. And so it's very well contained in our communities Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't tend to happen in mainstream communities. Um, Another big misperception, it's something white folks do. Uh, Again, I said that stock photo, always white people. That's not true. Uh, In fact, uh, Erica Capen, who's this amazing photographer out of New York City, um, she has this uh, website called the Open Photo Project, where what she does is go and take photos of real non-monogamous people living their lives. So you can see what all these folks look like, what their lives look like, what their houses look like, their kids, like all of these things that show you what the reality is of being polyamorous. There are people of every race. There are people of every age. There are people of all different shapes and sizes, people who are disabled, people like whatever you can imagine, people like that are doing some version of non-monogamy somewhere. They may call it different things. They may have different sub-communities that they stick within, but there's no specific race or age or gender that is polyamory. Everybody can do it. That does not mean that the community is equally welcoming to everybody. Uh, My good friend, Kevin Patterson, wrote an amazing book, Love's Not Colorblind. 
that looked at racial dynamics and non non-monogamy communities. And he has often been like one of the few black people at a poly event. And he talks a lot about those experiences and that there is still a lot of tokenization. There's still a lot of microaggressions, a lot of fetishization that happens, but that does not mean that it is a thing only white people do. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't have to be a slut to be polyamorous. You can be asexual and be polyamorous. All you have to do to be polyamorous is want to have more than one loving relationship that everybody knows about. That's it. That's all it is. You don't even have to actively have multiple relationships right now to be polyamorous. The same way that like you can be bisexual while not simultaneously fucking people of two different genders. Like <laughs> you can be polyamorous even if you're in zero relationships or just one right now. Polyamory is not defined by exactly what you're doing in this moment. It's defined by how you think of yourself and what you're looking for in terms of your relational life. Those were excellent myths to speak on. Mm -hmm. I feel like I, I don't actively think of like, oh, what do I think about polyamory? But those would be like all of them that I would think of as this, like the stereotypes of polyamory. Yeah. The other big thing, it's less a stereotype, but it's like the question we get most often is, but what about jealousy? And like mm -hmm. <laughs> the most common thing I get when monogamous folks ask me about polyamory is they want to know about jealousy as if jealousy is this boogeyman that like, if you say its name three times, it ruins your life. And like, I, th for a while people talked about polyamory, like nobody has jealousy in polyamory. We all just feel compersion and that's all <laughs> that we feel. And we're amazingly enlightened. And like, that's not true. People still get jealous, but we don't tell people you should never love anybody because what if something happens to them and then you'd feel sad? The idea that you should never open yourself up to a situation where you might feel jealousy doesn't make any sense because there's no way to hundred percent prevent that from happening. And jealousy is just a feeling. Our feelings are not our enemies. Our feelings are not oppressing us. Our feelings give us information they give us information about how we're doing, about the stories that we hold, about what it is that we want or need. Jealousy for me, if I feel it, is telling me that there is something happening in this connection that I need to look at. Maybe it's that I'm feeling super insecure right now. Maybe it's that I'm not getting the attention from them that I want. Maybe it's that the way we've been is really rocky. And so the idea of them building a new connection feels more threatening than it would if we felt solid. Right. I think that jealousy does not have to be this terrible, awful thing you always avoid. It can be a really beautiful way of looking at what's going on and helping you face things you might be pretending aren't happening because <laughs> mm -hmm. we all do that. Sometimes we all put on the blinders sometimes and pretend things are fine for as long as we can. And jealousy can be a really great companion to like hold your hand and say, things are not fine. You need to look at this. Damn, that's a good point. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. So you talked about how like a closed triad is not this super common thing. What are some more common examples of what polyamory might look like? Because I don't think a lot of us have good examples in our heads other than not negative examples, but like other than literally that picture that you've mentioned. Right. Yeah, the three, the three sets of feet under the bed sheet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I think that it's hard to describe what the common configurations look like because they 
they just look like weird squiggles. Um, if we were to like diagram them out, if you think about like a group of friends, right. And how closely connected they are. And then the friends that they have outside of the friend group, if you try to diagram that, what would it look like? Kind of a mess. Right. Mm -hmm. But all those people have connections to each other and connections to other people. And the connections to other people aren't impeding their connections to each other. That's kind of how most poly configurations end up looking. People have different connections with different folks. They may have closer connections. They may have more distant connections. They may have some that move more towards friend world, some that move more towards sex world. Things may shift and change. Uh, there are some people that I'm friends with who I met when we were metamors. Uh, a metamor is the partner of your partner. So we became friends through dating the same person and just stayed friends. And like, Maybe sometimes we date too. Like I've had people I dated because they were dating someone I was dating and I was like, you're real hot. And then maybe we have a threesome first and then we date separately, right? Like there's a lot of ways that it can happen. I think that it's harder to talk about because like closed triad is such a clear, easy picture and example. Whereas like the reality is just a really messy molecule uh, or, or a not well-drawn constellation. Um, like somebody's trying to find the constellation and they're just like connecting some dots and hoping it'll work. Right. And I think that like how busy each node is depends on the person. Um, for instance, like my current housemate is polyamorous and the way he works is he can have like one significant partner and a bunch of people he has more casual connections with, or he can have two significant partners. But if there are two significant partners, he, can, he can't do other things. Like that's all the space he has. Right. All his arms are full. Yeah. Right. And like, that's what he knows about himself after a lot of trial and error. And so like, if he has a second significant connection forming, he'll let other people know that like, probably he's not going to have space to maintain that connection anymore in that way. You know, uh, some people, uh, a good, some good friends of mine, they'll have like, five concurrent partners who are significant partners and a lot of those partners will do group dates together so they'll have like the night of the house with two of the partners hanging out with the person and they all hang out together like there's a lot of different ways it can show up it's very much personalized to each connection to each person each group of people each like loose association of folks has their own way of doing it mm-hmm when you mentioned having different friends and different friend groups, I don't know why, but that is what like made it click with me about the types of connections you could have and how they could be so separate, but so unique and valuable and like deep, but just in different ways with different people. Because I have friends that are for different reasons and different, yeah. you know, seasons. So that makes so much more sense to me emotionally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the way I, I think about it is like, you know, when you have a birthday party or a wedding and you invite all your people from all your different parts of your life and they kind of all mingle together and some of them get along better than others. <laughs> like that's kind of how polyamory works a lot of the time. You've got your people that you have your connection with. Probably they'll get along at least somewhat because you tend to like the same kind of people usually. And so like, if you like that person and you like this person, it's likely that they will have something in common, but maybe they get along great. Maybe they don't, but they're all your people, right? They all have an association with you. They may have their own independence associations with each other, but like, they don't have to in order to all be your people. Right. That's beautiful. That's so fun. And then if you introduce people and you guys get along, mm -hmm. that could be a little bit closer. 
you develop friendships, you develop loverships, you develop relationships, all kinds of things can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of us in the poly world, we are very big on fucking our friends. Uh, <laughs> like there are, there are a lot of people <laughs> who I adore, who I, I love very, very deeply. We don't have a romantic relationship. We do have very hot sex, right? Like it's great. We don't have to do any of the weird, like, what are we to each other? Cause we know we love each other. We care about each other when we're in the same place. We can fuck and it's great. And like, there's no other set of expectations placed upon it. Mm-hmm. You talked about this a little bit earlier in terms of like being in a monogamous relationship when you are polyamorous. And if this is too personal of a question, please ignore it. Um, but how does it feel to be in a monogamous relationship when you know you are poly? Like, does it feel restrictive or? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can kind of answer it. I don't know that I fully knew that I was poly, uh, but I was in a monogamous relationship, a monogamous marriage when I was younger. Um, and I, I wanted so much for that relationship to work. You know, we met when I was pretty young. I was just about to turn 22. We got married when I was 23. And I was trying to like check all the boxes. I was doing the things you're supposed to do. You're supposed to find the person and get married to them. You're supposed to have the job. You're supposed to do things this way and like hit these milestones in order to be an adult. And it never felt fully right to me. We weren't supposed to be 100% monogamous. We were supposed to have threesomes with women because I was like, look, I'm bi. I can't say one penis forever is all I'm ever going to need. Like, that's not. But we ended up having one threesome and he got deeply upset because there was like a brief period of time where she and I played with each other where he wasn't directly involved because he had independently fucked both of us before the threesome. So like we needed some acquainting time, but he was upset by that. So like we only had one ever, but like, I remember when we were getting ready to get married at like our engagement party, I was talking to people. I was like one person forever. Do I want this? Like this just sounds awful. Like why would I, but I'm supposed to like, this is the right thing. This is what grownups do. If you're mature and you're doing the right thing and you care about someone, what you do is monogamous with them. And it always felt like a too tight sweater. I just, I felt like there was something I had to keep denying myself. It probably didn't help that he was also not a good person to me, like very emotionally abusive, like just a shitty person. But I think that regardless of how much I care about somebody, what I need is a balance of like stability and connection and freedom. I, I, no matter how much I love a person, I am never going to stop getting interested in other people because there are so many interesting people out there. Like when I talk to folks who are monosexual, whether it's straight or gay, I'm like, but haven't you seen how hot everybody is? Like how, (laughs) how can you just like rule out half? I don't understand this. Like that does not make any sense to me. And like, similarly, people are freaking fascinating. Like so many people have fascinating things that they've done or explored or ways that they think about the world. And like, I don't want, 
any kind of relationship that wants me to change that part of myself, the part of me that loves getting to connect with other people and talk to other people and have crazy wild sexual escapades and fuck my friends and be the fisting demo at a conference. (laughs) Like, I want somebody who thinks that's amazing, who loves how slutty my heart is, who loves how slutty my body is and wants to celebrate that about me. And I think for me, monogamy felt like this reinforcement of shame, this indictment of those parts of myself that just want to connect a lot. And I think that it felt like it was killing me in a lot of ways. Um, I am, of course, like at the far end of a bell curve, right? Like I am an exceptionally non-monogamous person. Like I am just someone who is very slutty with my heart and my body. (laughs) And like, not everybody is that way. But I think that for a lot of folks monogamy for them is something that they might enjoy for a period of time with someone who is special to them, but it will feel like a big compromise. Uh, Like if you think of like you have, if you had a couple where one person really wants to have kids, the other doesn't, and they agree to not have kids, even though they agreed to it, the person who wants to have kids is going to feel that loss, right? For them, that is going to be something that they have to grieve and that hurts and they're not going to grieve it once. And so I think similarly, for people who are more drawn to polyamory, who feel more like that is the fit for them, monogamy feels like this loss. All these people that you have to force yourself not to connect to, that you have to force yourself away from because that's what you've agreed to. Mm. And that's for me. I don't know that every polyamory person would agree with that, right? Like I think it's different for everybody. For me, Mm -hmm. that is how it felt. Yeah. It was a beautiful way that you described how you do connect with people, though, and what polyamory has given you in terms of your connections and your love and how you see the world and everyone's fucking awesome and hot. I thought that part was beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) And again, like, I think it's amazing that I get to experience so many cool people. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of folks who, (laughs) from the outside, look at polyamory communities and especially do a lot of, like, fat shaming or, like saying people are unattractive because they don't fit very traditional societal beauty standards and sometimes. And I'm just so sad that those people can't see how hot these folks are, right? That like their idea of what is attractive is so small that they're just so limited in what they're able to understand and experience. And I think that a beautiful thing about being in these kinds of communities is you get to see so many people in the places where they shine. You get to see the partnerships that bring out the best in them. And, you know, we all, when we have someone who's really in our corner and supporting us, we sparkle in a different way, right? We're more alive. We're more vibrant. We're more charismatic. We're able to be our best self and give that to everybody else. And I think there are a lot of ways that polyamory communities can help support that in people because, we love everybody's weirdness. Like you're super into Battlestar Galactica. Awesome. Wear your cosplay. Let's do this. Uh, what's that? You're super into board games. Great. The kink con has a board game room. Like it's just, (laughs) it's about telling people that who they are is great and interesting and cool rather than telling them that they have to be a certain thing to be hot or attractive or wantable. Mm-hmm. It's like, like, have y'all seen the Barbie movie yet? I'm sure yes. you have. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Very similar ideas, right? Of like, mm-hmm. we are fed this one particular way to be, but there is so much more when we allow ourselves to explore beyond that. And that very particular idea limits all of us and hurts all of us. 
it keeps all of us so much more isolated and shut down than we need to be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> Very beautiful. Yeah. I would love to talk a little bit more about sex in polyamorous relationships. And I think this is probably going to be a similar answer to what you said before is it's complicated and it's different for every person. Um, but are there like any general or like some examples of rules that people will use around sexual relationships or just like common setups for sex in polyamorous relationships? So I think it's important to first kind of define some terminology in terms of like boundaries versus agreements versus rules, because I think people use those terms somewhat interchangeably in a way that makes it hard to actually identify what's happening. Um, So boundaries are about your own self, your own time, your own body, your own heart, your own mind, things that are you. Boundaries are a way that you take care of yourself uh, and that you make sure that you are getting what you need in order to function as a person. Agreements are made by two or more people, and everybody who is affected by them gets a say in negotiating and renegotiating them. Rules are by two or more people and affect people who do not get a say in them. So in a lot of polyamory communities, there has been a movement away from rules in general, more towards agreements and boundaries, because in a rules-based structure, uh, like for instance, if you have a couple that opened up, they're doing polyamory now, but they have a rule that they don't use barriers for sex with each other. So they have to use barriers with everybody else. What happens once one of them wants to start having unbarriered sex with another partner, right? The problem with a rule is that it either forces someone to not do a thing they want to do, or it creates a point at which there's a huge upheaval in the relationship because we tend to think of rules as things that don't change right? Like a thing that is less likely to be renegotiated. It's a thing that is less likely to flow with what happens. It's supposed to stay the same. So the folks that I'm closest with, we don't tend to do any rules. Uh, We do a lot of discussions, negotiations, a lot of boundaries, some agreements. But what we tend to try to do is figure out like how we can negotiate what feels good for everybody in terms of communicating information and how we can make sure everybody has access to as much autonomy as possible so that we are not limiting them because of what it is that we want. Uh, If I'm in a relationship with someone and what they want to do is have unbarriered sex with like a whole bunch of people, I don't want to tell them that they are wrong for that. I just will need to do things to protect my own body so that I can feel good about the sex that we have together. And that might mean that we only do certain kinds of sexual activities. It might mean that we use barriers, uh, including barriers for like oral play or or for gloves, for hand play. It might mean that we basically only use toys. Like there might be different ways that we approach it so that I can reinforce their autonomy and their ability to make those decisions. I can let them know, you know, if you make these kinds of decisions, these are probably the kinds of things I'll be okay with. If you make these kinds of decisions, probably only these things would be okay for me so that they have that information to make choices about what they do with other people. But I don't ever want to be telling somebody else what to do with their body. That does not feel good to me. Uh, I've had too many people try to tell me what to do with my body. I don't want to do that shit to anybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, Generally, we all have an approach that is about getting tested regularly and talking about your test results. Uh, A lot of us are also on prep. Uh, I'm on prep. I've been on prep for five years, four or five years. Um, PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV. So there are different kinds of it. So there are two pills. One is Truvada, which is what I'm on. 
the other one I'm blanking on its name, uh, but it's one that had not been tested for people with vaginas. They don't know how well it protects transmission through vaginal tissue. So if you have a vagina, you're probably on Truvada. There's also a new injectable prep that I'm starting on tomorrow that I'm very excited oh. about, where <laughs> instead of taking a daily pill, you get an injection every two months. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, and uh, they're all over 90% effective at preventing transmission of HIV, even in serodiscordant couples. So, like, really great way to protect yourself. Uh, and for those who don't know, if you tend to have sex with three or more different people in a month, it might be worthwhile for you to consider getting on PrEP. Uh, I didn't even know that was a thing. I had oh, no yeah. idea. So That's it is incredible. much more well-known in gay men's communities. And for a while, there was a misperception that only gay men can do it or should do it. And that's not the truth. If you're someone who tends to have sex with a variety of folks, especially if you don't love using condoms, get on prep. Take care of yourself, right? It's like get in the shot for HPV. You might as well. Um, yeah. Most of us get tested every three months or every six months, depending upon how often we tend to have new partners or like how active we are with different people. Um, with my new prep regimen, because I'll be going in every two months, they're just going to run full labs every two months for me, which will be great. So oh. I'll have tons of data on my STI status. Uh, before we have sex, we tend to have a quick chat with each other about when we were last, last tested, what we were tested for, uh, what the results were, what our barrier usage is like with other people, any risk factors since our last test, uh, what kinds of things we'd be open to or down for so that we have a quick encapsulation of like, our sexual risk management. Um, usually if you are going barrier free with someone, you will negotiate whether that is a one-time thing or an ongoing thing. Uh, sometimes people call this being fluid bonded, which is a fascinating term because like I get what they mean. Um, and also if you kiss someone without a barrier, you're technically fluid bonded. So like which fluids are we talking about and why, and why do they matter? You know? Mm -hmm. So things to think about. Uh, but I think it's also important to look at, like, if we're not using barriers with someone, what is that about? Is this a decision we're making for emotional closeness? Is this a decision we're making about physical risk? Is there a combination there? And thinking about what it would mean if there's a move back towards barrier use, particularly if it's a more emotional decision, right? If this is about emotional closeness and your partner is going to maybe at some point want to do sexual activities that would make you feel uncomfortable having barrier-free sex with them, does it make sense to go away from barrier use now or would that be too hard on you in the future? And just looking at like, what are those factors for you? Uh, most of us tend to use barriers for penetrative sex. Uh, in play party settings, we tend to use gloves for hand play because it's just easier uh, to make sure that you don't like cross-contaminate. Um, a lot of people use barriers for oral sex depending upon their level of risk, what they are comfortable with in terms of risk levels. And every like sex or play party I've ever been to has had just huge, like a table full of gloves and condoms and dental dams and chucks in case people are squirters and like just everything laid out so that like you can just grab what you need, do what you need to do. Um, what is a chuck real quick? So chucks are like the puppy pads. They're, they're like oh, the little oh, gotcha. absorbent disposable pads. Uh, I think they called them chucks from like maternity wards because you would just chuck it out after the baby was done. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Uh, but they're very common, particularly in lesbian communities or in communities with more vulva havers who are more likely to have, you know, voluminous fluid discharges <laughs> happening. Um, 
But yeah, I think that like when it comes to sex, a lot of it is about negotiating, like how are you managing your own risk? What kinds of activities feel riskier for you? What happens for you when a partner engages in riskier activities? So like, how would you change your own interaction with them based on the choices that they make? Some people will sometimes want to have like specific sex or kink things that are only theirs. That can work. And I think there's a lot of risk there of like setting everybody up for failure. Um, This idea of being the only as the way to be special is like straight out of mononormativity, right? Like the reason that you are special to your partner is because you are the only one they fuck. You're the only one that they love romantically. That's why you're special. But like, is that really the only reason you're special to this person? I would hope not. I would really hope that there are things about you that are special to this person that are above and beyond the fact they don't fuck other people. Um, And I think that this idea of exclusivity and specialness being necessarily the same thing creates a lot of problems further down the road. Because no matter what that specific thing is that you want to be like, you're special only for us thing at some point there's going to be somebody else who that's like actually really key to how they experience stuff. And so like, just looking at like, what is that about? What is that for? What's the reasoning behind it? Are there other ways to get that need met that aren't about creating these like exclusivity bubbles around certain things? Mm -hmm. The more sex scenarios that I have heard of that include more people have only sounded healthier and healthier as we've learned about them like the communication the sharing the boundaries the agreements you know all of that it just that was a more well-rounded conversation about sex that i've had with you than i've ever had with a partner and that's incredible like that's amazing that that is the communication standard within the community because everyone wants to play safe and have fun well, everybody, especially like, again, I have a skewed sample because I'm a very slutty person. So I tend to be <laughs> friends with the other very slutty people. Right. Mm-hmm. And we want to fuck a lot of folks. So we want to make sure that we're being extra safe about doing it. Mm-hmm. Other stuff around sex that people might have agreements or, you know, particular preferences about that people may not think about would be like, if you cohabitate with a partner who gets to have sex in your shared bed. Right. If it's only you two. How sustainable is that if you're dating somebody who's also in a couple where they can only have sex with their partner in their bed? So do you get hotel rooms every time? Do you get a pull-out couch? Like, how does this work, right? Mm -hmm. Sheets. You do your sheets. If you've had sex on the sheets, you do your sheets. Because if there's another person coming over, they don't need somebody else's fluids. That means you do a lot more laundry. (laughs) You need a lot more (laughs) sets of sheets. Uh, uh, Are you showering between partners? Are you brushing your teeth? What are you doing in terms of resetting your body between people that you have sex with? What's important to you about that? How much information about the sex that you have are you sharing with your other partners? How much do they want to know? How much are the other people okay with you sharing? Uh, I talk about my sex life on the internet a lot. So anybody who fucks me gets a disclaimer of like, yo, I will probably talk about the hot sex we have on the internet. If that's a problem for you, we probably shouldn't fuck because I'm not going to remember not to talk about it. Like, that's just, (laughs) I'm not good at that. Uh, I like sharing the stories. So if that's a problem, let's not. Uh, (laughs) But I think like, what can you share and with whom is a big thing that a lot of folks don't think about. That's also important to like negotiate and be clear about. Um, 
And also, like, what is it about, like, what are you looking for from the sex, right? Sex can be so many things. Sex can be just, like, fun and joyful and playful. Sex can be about deep emotional connection. Sex can be about, like, an adrenaline high. There's a lot of things that sex can be. How are you negotiating that with each person that you have sex with? Um, Particularly in these communities, because you have people who do things a lot of different ways. If I'm hooking up with like a very serious neo-tantra practitioner who wants to eye gaze for a couple hours and barely touch each other, I'm going to be bored out of my mind. So (laughs) that's probably not going to work for me. Uh, If somebody is like super vanilla and like, good, great for them, probably not going to work for me, right? Like I need it spicy. That's how I go. And so, like, I think it's looking also at, like, what is sex for you? How in this moment with this person are you wanting to experience sexual connection? Are you able to do that with this person in a way that feels good for both of you? Mm-hmm. you so much self-awareness, I feel like. Yeah. That is incredible. It's superhero power. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, like in my ideal self, I am all self-aware all this time. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, none of us are perfect like this. There are definitely (laughs) times where I walk myself into something and I look back and I'm like, what were you thinking? You know better than this. Like, you know, this will not work for you. Why did you do it again? (laughs) It happens. And I think it's important, especially as a polyamory person who like wrote a book about polyamory, talks about it a lot that I remind people that like, I am not perfect at this. You know, the, the Dr. Liz in my book is the ideal version of me following my ideal principles. I don't live up to those all the time. I try to, I aim for it, but I am a fallible human being. And there are going to be times that I fall short of that. There are going to be times that I am a petty bitch and like, (laughs) you know, that is not the best version of me, but it happens. And it's okay if you fuck up. The idea that we have in a lot of our culture is that, like, you need to be doing things perfectly all the time. You need to have the perfect morals. You need to have the perfect values. You need to execute them perfectly all the time. And you're not going to do that. Especially if you are someone who has not been doing polyamory very long, you're going to fuck up a lot. And that needs to be okay. Because whenever you're learning something new, you're going to be bad at it for a while. That doesn't mean, like, just go ahead and be as bad as you possibly can be. Like, we don't need more fuckboys. I promise. We do not need any more fuckboys, okay? But it means that if you fuck up, the moral of the story is not that you are doomed forever. You're never going to be a good poly person. You should just quit now. You're never going to find love. The moral of the story is you have stuff to clean up and learn from moving forward. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't want to learn from anybody who isn't a petty bitch, at least sometimes. Yeah. Like, that's just not yeah. a good teacher-student fit for me. So I'll never grow out of that. being that. No. We all At have times, that petty bitch inside of us, you know? Yeah. Like, we all have that mm-hmm. petty bitch right yeah. in there. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that was such a beautiful way to, like, summarize all of it at the the end of this. Um Casta, do you have anything else that you wanted to go off of? No, my mind is blown. I'm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel, yeah, my mind's just so opened up and all of my like misconceptions and preconceptions have been totally yeah. challenged. Um, mm-hmm. And I am grateful for it. Um, well, I think the last thing I would say is that like, 
I think a lot of folks in monogamy world think you need like this whole separate set of skills to be polyamorous and you don't. It's actually the exact same skills you need to do monogamy well. It's just that because you have more relationships, you're likely to run into the ways that you're bad at it much more quickly. That is right? an excellent point. That's a the zinger. The thing is, communication yeah. is communication. If you are not great at communicating in monogamy, you can paper that shit over for a while because, like, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of confounding factors, right? There's not a lot of extra yeah. variables causing trouble. Trying to do it in polyamory with four different people gets messier way faster. If you're really bad so about true. remembering you booked an appointment, boy, howdy, will polyamory help you figure that out really <laughs> fast? Like... <laughs> The skills are not different. You're just more likely to run into your fail points more quickly. And I think that it behooves us all to work at the kind of stuff that makes polyamory successful, because even if you're doing monogamy, it will just make your monogamy better. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of folks who are monogamous will be like, oh, I don't need that book. It's about polyamory. Most of our books are actually super helpful for monogamy too. Like you don't, it's not separate worlds. It's just different applications of the same skills. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Great Damn. point, because you know some fuckboy out there is going to be like, no, don't need to get better at that. I'm in a monogamous relationship. <laughs> also, <That's great>. like, <laughs> you don't get to say that, like, your cheating is okay because you're polyamorous. Like, cheating is cheating. If you're violating agreements, you're violating agreements. It doesn't matter if you're calling yourself poly or mono. That's still bullshit. So, like, we don't need more fuckboys, please. Mm-hmm. We don't please. need more fuckboys. <laughs> I don't want to steal your shitty boyfriend. That was also my favorite line. I don't. (laughs) Where can our listeners continue connecting with you after this? Get your book, all of those good things. So my website is drlizpowell.com, drlizpowell.com. I also have a great course on being better at non-monogamy that I taught with Kevin Patterson. It's available online. Uh, It's called Unfuck Your Polyamory. And it's unfuckyourpolyamory.com. Uh, I also am on Twitter at Dr. Liz Powell. I'm not going to call it X. Like, it's the one dead name I will use. Uh, it's Twitter forever. Uh, I'm Dr. Liz Powell on Instagram. Pretty much everywhere, I'm at Dr. Liz Powell. Uh, and I would love to hear from y'all. made it yeah at the sad first episode new season it's like stretching just yeah. feels good you know new season who dis <laughs> yeah put that yeah. on a shirt and sell it <laughs> put that in your pipe and smoke it pipe and smoke it um thank you dr liz for being on once again, you are quite the joy, and we are just so excited to be kicking off this new season with you and your knowledge. Um, and thank you to our listeners mm-hmm. for coming back. We hope you are coming. <laughs> and um, yeah, we're just so excited to be back. I'd love to think of some more things that you can put in and do something with. Like, put that in your batter and stir it. <laughs> in your batter and stir it. Um Put that in your fridge and cool it. Ooh, put that in your puss and thrust it. it. Sure. <laughs> put that in your pillow and fluff it. Yeah, there you go. Put, put that in your bum and excrete it. <laughs> <laughs> you sure? Yeah. Uh, put that in your 
shower and steam it. No, I'm just rhyming with you now. <laughs> yeah, I think that I is what you're task. doing. What's the task? <laughs> Clarify. I have a clarifying question. <laughs> are we Dr. Seussing this or are we thinking of new things? I'm I was, so sorry. I lost track. <laughs> I was doing the Dr. Seuss thing. Um, well, if this is going to be the goddamn episode to get you to leave a goddamn review, thank you deeply. You and I want you to not put an emoji. It's a new season. I want you to put something in something and do something to it and put that at the very <laughs> end <laughs> or the beginning. I don't care what you do with it. And the best one we kind. see, we'll talk about and we'll yeah. use it for the entire season. <laughs> we'll put it on a sweatshirt. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't have merch. No. We'll use, <laughs> but we'll make merch little, little, uh, dangly. I don't know what to call that. A carrot. I don't know. A little carrot for Something, you. It's coming. Yeah. We're Put that on your fishing line that. and tease it. Put that in your hair and tease it. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> so put that in your hair and tease it and look forward to uh, potential some Some high quality merch. merch. High quality. Yeah. yeah. Um, Anything yeah. else that they should do? Check us out on YouTube. Give them a big old kiss. <laughs> And <laughs> I am single. That's all I can think of, actually. Me too. Every day. Um, and we <laughs> will see you next week, sluts. Bye. Bye. On my end, it was perfect. I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs>